Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hundreds of thousands of people disappear in the United States each year. Most are eventually found, but sadly, a large group remain missing. For 15 years, Anne McDonald lived her life in limbo. Her husband, Jim McDonald, vanished without a trace on a walk home from a friend's house one evening in 1971. The search for Jim was extensive. Detectives, friends, and family searched all over for him checking morgues, hospitals, but it was truly like Jim McDonald vanished into thin air. He was the epitome of a devoted husband. He was reliable and sensible. For Jim to disappear, something terrible must have happened. And in 1976, five years after Jim went missing, Anne made the heart-wrenching decision to have her husband declared legally dead, although his body was never found. She did this in the hopes that she would gain some closure and could attempt to move on with her life. But deep down, Anne didn't want to believe that he was gone. Over the years, she still held out hope that one day, maybe, Jim would return. Maybe, out there somewhere, he was still alive. And one fateful Christmas, the seemingly impossible happened. Fifteen years after his mysterious disappearance... Jim McDonald reappeared on Anne's doorstep. But how? What happened? Where had Jim McDonald been the past 15 years? And what brought him back home? It's one of the most unusual and downright remarkable stories to date. Today's true case is one for the books, and also one that has a very happy ending. Welcome back to Avery After Dark. I am your host, Avery Ross. I'm so happy you all are here with me for this episode. It's going to blow your mind. I'm very excited to let you all know I have partnered up with Flighthouse Media, a creative studio, to create the Avery After Dark Snapchat show. Episode 1 just premiered this week, so there you can watch an Avery After Dark episode every week right there on Snapchat. I have linked the show in the episode notes for this podcast, so go check it out, and if you guys would, subscribe to the show on Snapchat. If you're a big Snapchatter, or even if you're not, I really hope you guys enjoy the show. This has been in the works since last fall, so I'm thrilled. Thank you for your support. Remember, if you're digging Avery After Dark and find yourself looking forward to episodes every week, leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get this podcast. I love hearing where you guys listen to the show. I've been told I accompany many of you on the way to and from work during the week. A couple of you say that you listen to the show while you clean your house. I love it all, so please share where you listen to Avery After Dark. And also, if you want all these episodes ad-free and want to support Avery After Dark for only $3 a month, join the Patreon. That is linked in the show notes. I'm so thankful for all my Patreon members. And now it's time to get right into today's episode. Our story begins in 1960. 
with Jim McDonnell and his wife, Anne. The two began their life in Larchmont, New York, a suburb of New York City. The couple bought and lived in a homey small brick house and lived a very happy life together. The two didn't have any children and were completely devoted to one another, best friends and soulmates type of love. Jim was a soft-spoken, hard-working, and gentle man who worked as a foreman of mail carriers for the post office. Jim was a diligent and dependable man who kept this position for 25 years, and those who worked with him all said the exact same thing. Jim was a stand-up guy. He was reliable. He showed up. Jim was known by everyone in town. Both he and Anne were very well-liked and respected. In 1971, seemingly out of nowhere, then 50-year-old Jim began suffering through a series of curious and bizarre accidents. It started that February. On a cold New York evening, Jim went to take the trash out when he accidentally slipped on some ice-coated steps. This resulted in him falling onto his back and striking his head on the pavement. Although a bit painful and jarring, Jim got himself up and didn't appear to be critically injured in any way. So he dusted himself off, went back inside, telling Anne about what had happened. But Jim was acting perfectly normal and the two went about their evening. A few days later, while driving to work, Jim claimed he began an uncontrollable fit of sneezing and lost control of his car. This sneezing fit caused Jim to veer off the road and slam into a telephone pole. In this, he hit his forehead against the windshield. Authorities were called onto the scene and they evaluated everything and once again, Jim appeared to be okay. He was walking and talking normally, so he was taken back home. But the next day, Jim became incredibly dizzy at work and fell down the stairs, again hitting his head. So this is now the third incident. But once again, Jim seems fine. He's able to get up and walk away from it. None of these accidents appear to be critical. So just a string of bad luck? Was Jim just getting older? What was going on here? 10 days later, Jim was back in the car driving again and again lost control of the vehicle, slamming into another telephone pole. This time, Jim didn't walk away from it unscathed. A passerby found him at the wheel of the car, unconscious, and immediately called 911. So finally, Jim was taken to the emergency room and admitted for three days while doctors examined him and ran tests. And the doctors found that he had suffered a cerebral concussion. As many of you already know, concussions can affect memory, judgment, reflexes, speech, balance, and muscle coordination. Basically, everything. Many people with concussions often report a brief period of amnesia or forgetfulness, where they can't remember what happened immediately before or after the injury. So Jim is kept at the hospital and Anne is right there by his side. And eventually, he's deemed fine and released by doctors as they believed the concussion was mild and he could move on with his life. In hindsight, his injuries should have been more closely monitored because what came next was tragic. On March 29, 1971, it appeared that Jim was doing okay and getting back to his normal life and routine. With his car having just been wrecked into a telephone pole, Jim asked a friend if he could borrow his station wagon for an errand. The friend happily said yes, so that afternoon, Jim set out to Kennedy Airport to pick up his wife Anne's brother and her family who were in town visiting. All seemed completely normal as he picked the group up from the airport and then drove them over to Anne's sister's house. He was driving fine, he was engaged in conversation, Jim was his normal self. 
Later that evening, he drove back to his friend's house to return the station wagon he had borrowed around 10 p.m. Jim was unaware that during the ride, his ID, which he had placed in a leather folder, had fallen out onto the floor of the car. Upon bringing the car back, Jim's friend offered to give him a ride back home, but Jim actually said no. Jim told his friend that he had a bad headache, and since he only lived just a short 15-minute walk down the road, he believed the fresh air and walk back to his house would help. So his friend says okay and waves goodbye to Jim as he watches him walk down the sidewalk, eventually out of sight. So the evening rolls on and back at their house, Anne begins to wonder where her husband is. It was now 11.15 p.m. and she expected Jim home a while ago. She hadn't received any call or word from him that he was running late or something came up, which was very unlike Jim. He was always reliable and always in communication with Anne. So she calls up Jim's friend, the one who loaned him the station wagon. This friend tells Anne that he wasn't sure why Jim wasn't home yet as he had left his house over an hour ago. He told Anne that Jim mentioned a headache and took a walk back, but this walk wouldn't take him this long. Something wasn't right. Anne, now becoming overwhelmingly concerned, sits and waits by the door, hoping Jim would make it back home. But he never did. And at 2 a.m., Anne made a call to police and reported her husband missing. In the coming hours and days, police sent out bulletins, contacted over 50 of Jim's friends and relatives. They checked nearby hospitals, shelters, morgues, but there was no sign of Jim McDonald. Police received tips about the missing man, but none of those tips led anywhere. All authorities had to go on was Jim's friend, who stated that he watched him leave his home that March evening, and that was the last he saw or heard of him. How does someone just up and disappear without a trace? Surely someone had to see Jim walking home that night. What happened to him? A New York detective named George Mulcahy was assigned to the case. This was an especially hard-hitting task for George because he knew Jim personally. The two had attended the same church for years, and the two men had grown to be friendly. George knew that Jim was an upstanding man who would never willingly up and leave his wife or his life. Jim was not the type to sneak off and start a new life. That wasn't him. I mentioned that Jim had worked the same job for 25 years, and he also had a pristine personal and professional record. Investigators talked with friends, family, combed through his life, but it was clear. Jim didn't seem to have anything to hide. He lived his life on the up and up. As friends and family put it, Jim was an honest, church-going, hard-working, devoted husband. So for him to vanish like this, something must have gone horribly wrong. Every possible route that Jim would have taken home that night was walked, and there was no sign of any sort of attack or accident. Anne had informed Detective Mokahi about Jim's recent accidents, the car crashes, the dizzy spells, and police also learned that the evening he was last seen by his friend, he had mentioned a bad headache. For Detective Mulcahy, the only explanation for Jim's disappearance was amnesia. Amnesia is a dramatic form of memory loss where an individual is unable to remember events or even who they are for a brief period of time due to a brain injury, illness, drugs, or alcohol. It can also be caused by stroke, Alzheimer's disease, and severe psychological trauma too. This person won't be able to recognize familiar faces or places. And to this day, with modern science as advanced as it is, much of why or how amnesia happens is a mystery. It's truly a phenomenon, 
No one knows why it happens to some patients and not others, or why it can last for such a long time in some cases. Some can suffer from amnesia for hours, days, months, years, but other people don't seem to suffer the same fate. One of the scariest parts about it is it's not uncommon for someone suffering from amnesia to simply just up and aimlessly walk away from the place he or she lives. With all knowledge of their true identity, life, family, sense of self, completely blacked out. And to make matters worse, Jim's ID was found in that brown folder in his friend's station wagon, so Anne and police feared that when this amnesia struck sometime on that walk home, he didn't even have his ID to refer to. So for police, they believe it's likely because of the recent accidents, Jim McDonnell had amnesia. And although he was recently discharged from the hospital, it seems there was something much more serious going on with him. But how long would that amnesia last? When would Jim come to? We'll be right back. What if everyone thought you murdered your best friend? And what if you can't remember that night? And what if the truth doesn't matter? The Washington Post says Amy Tintera's Listen for the Lie is an edgy mystery novel whose true crime storyline draws you in like the podcast Serial. A Good Morning America book club pick that Stephen King calls a page-turner from the first sentence to the very last. Listen for the Lie is on sale now everywhere books are sold. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. You're back with Avery After Dark. Every day that passed after Jim's disappearance, those closest to him wondered if he was all right or if he was even still alive. According to friends and family, Anne McDonald was completely distraught. Family said she stayed in the house every day, pacing and waiting. It was said that Anne had a strong faith in God and was praying around the clock for Jim's safe return. Every night, she sat posted up by the front door, looking out the window, waiting for him to come home. But weeks rolled on, and there was no sign of Jim. Detectives had no new leads. There were no reliable tips of his whereabouts. Anne told family that she would often dream that Jim had come home, only to wake up and find that he was still missing. She continued to have hope, but reality was setting in, and Anne was now living alone. Without the support of her husband, Anne had to go back to work, picking up babysitting jobs around the neighborhood, working at the local hospital cafeteria, and also a supermarket checker. She eventually found a full-time job as a nursing attendant and still held out hope that her husband would return to her. Friends said she sat by herself night after night watching TV alone and Anne never moved Jim's chair out of the family room. She kept all of Jim's clothing neatly hung up and protected in the closet and even kept his razor and shaving cream in the bathroom cabinet. Though everything was telling her to give up, Anne stayed hopeful that one day Jim would come back. But months turned into years, and this was extremely difficult for Anne. But in 1976, five years after Jim had gone missing without any trace of him, Anne made the devastating decision to have her husband declared legally dead. She did this in the hopes that she would gain some closure and could attempt to move on with her life. 
Despite it all, she still had a strong flicker of hope. But what happened the night that Jim walked home remained a mystery. Where was he? Where did he go? And would he ever make it back? Unknowingly for Anne and the rest of their family, that evening of March 29, 1971, Jim left his friend's house after dropping off the station wagon, and sometime on his walk home, he blacked out, losing all ability to remember his name or where he lived. The details surrounding this evening remain unknown, and what really happened is unclear. It's been theorized that Jim perhaps took the train to Grand Central Terminal and then another train, or he could have hopped on a bus south, but somehow, mysteriously, Jim ended up in downtown Philadelphia, a city he had never even been to in his entire life. He had no ID and no idea who he was. As he wandered aimlessly through downtown Philadelphia, he saw an advertisement for a real estate broker named James Peters and instantly adopted that name as his name. He became James Peters. This was his new identity and there, he started a brand new life. Jim, having no identification, went to get a social security card and he got one, which is unbelievable, but he did. In the 1970s, you didn't need to bring a birth certificate or seemingly any other proof of ID to obtain a social security card. So from there, Jim got a job at a health club, then at a cancer research institute, then got a job cleaning out animal cages, he also got a night shift job at the PNP Luncheonette, where he started making friends. Jim became known for his cooking, especially his omelets, and those who got to know him said that he was really well-mannered and had a great sense of humor, but never seemed to talk about his past, ever. As the years passed by, Jim became more valued at his work at PNP. He had a brand new friend group, joined an American Legion post in Knights of Columbus, and as he was before, he was also an active member at the St. Hugh Roman Catholic Church where he was well-known and made many friends. But as I said, one thing that everyone noticed about James Peters, aka Jim, was that no one knew where he came from. One friend in Philadelphia noticed his New York accent and asked him, from your accent, you must be from New York. And Jim replied back to him, I guess so. All those who spent time with him assumed that Jim either didn't want to talk about his past or didn't have much to talk about. When friends would bring up topics like childhood memories, everyone else would laugh and recall funny anecdotes to share with the group. But Jim would always remain quiet, not having anything to add. Friends who visited Jim's apartment noticed that it was bare bones in there. There were no usual photos with family members, no pictures of Jim as a kid. Those closest to him said that he seemed like an honest guy, and it didn't seem that he necessarily had anything to hide about his past, just that he didn't have anything to say about it. Jim's friends said they didn't want to pry and also accepted that some people don't want to talk about their past for whatever reason. Unknowingly for them, he wasn't talking about his past because he had no memory of it. Cheryl Sloan, a waitress and coworker of Jim's at PNP, said that Jim was special. She said, quote, he loved kids. At Christmas time, he played Santa Claus at orphanages. He grew a big white beard to make his appearance more authentic. Of course, we wondered about his past. My mother decided that he either had to be an ex-priest or an ex-criminal, end quote. 
Another thing that was obvious to everyone that met Jim was that he didn't seem to have any family. He lived alone, spent holidays alone. So a co-worker named Bernadine Golashovsky recalled that the two gravitated towards each other and became each other's family. Bernadine's father had recently passed away, and Jim had no daughter, so they adopted one another. They were family and began spending a lot of holidays and time together. Bernadine's husband Pete and their four children loved having Jim over and looked forward to his visits. There in Philadelphia, Jim spent 15 years as James Peters. 15 years, completely blacking out his true identity because of amnesia. 15 years of not remembering who he really was and who was at home waiting for him. But in 1985, there was a shift. Bernadine had noticed that Jim was becoming more withdrawn. Socially, he wasn't his usual self. He was much more quiet and subdued. Something was changing in Jim. On Thanksgiving Day, Bernadine had invited Jim over per usual for the holiday, and Jim sat with Pete, Bernadine's husband, in the family room, and the two watched TV as Bernadine prepared Thanksgiving dinner. It was then a scene flashed on TV. The scene was of a mail carrier making deliveries on a rainy day. Bernadine listened from the kitchen as Pete said, Boy, now that's one job I wouldn't want. Jim sat mesmerized as he watched the mail carrier on the screen. He then got quiet and frowned, and then said, I think I used to be a postman. Pete was shocked and looked at Jim with confusion, as this was one of the only, if not the only, time that Jim ever talked about his past. Pete asked him, Really? Where? Jim then answered, New York? I'm not sure but I think I remember my parents a little. Something was beginning to click, and in fragments, Jim was beginning to remember things. In the following weeks, friends in Philadelphia recalled that Jim seemed a bit off at work. He was more to himself. Usually, Jim loved the holidays and dressing up as Santa for the kids, but this year, it didn't seem that that was really on his mind. That Christmas Eve, Bernadine and her family sat waiting for Jim to arrive for their usual get-together. But that evening, they waited all night, but Jim never showed up. Unknowingly, on December 22nd, just days earlier, Jim had an accident and had fallen, hitting his head. That next day at work, according to co-workers, Jim seemed very distracted and had another accident where he fell and hit his head again. And on that Christmas Eve, the day he was supposed to arrive at Bernadine's, Jim woke up in a state of confusion and also happiness. After 15 years, Jim finally remembered who he was. He knew his true identity. He was not James Peters. He did not belong in Philadelphia. He remembered he was from Larchmont, New York. He recalled where he lived, that cozy brick house, he remembered his life and his job for the post office. And most importantly, he remembered that he had a wife. He was married to Anne. Jim immediately became frantic as he wondered about his wife. Was Anne still alive? Did she remarry? Was she still in New York? He couldn't get to her fast enough. Meanwhile, in New York, it was a snowy day and Anne had just arrived home from Christmas Mass, where she had lit candles and said a prayer for Jim as she always did. She was getting ready to head over to Christmas dinner at her sister's house, when suddenly, the doorbell rang. 
Anne's first thought was, ugh, I'm in a rush. It's Christmas. What a strange and awkward time for a visitor. Anne walked over, opened up the front door to a stunning sight. Standing on her doorstep was her husband, Jim. With a long beard, he was much skinnier and 15 years older. Reportedly, Anne was speechless. And Jim said the first thing that he noticed about Anne was that she looked older too, but even prettier than he remembered. Anne became breathless as the two stood there in shock. Jim said, hello, Anne. Anne gasped and said, is it true? Oh, I'm glad you're home, come in. Anne and Jim sat in their family room and began to talk, trying to fill in every last detail of what the two had just lived through for the past 15 years. Anne didn't even know if Jim was even still alive, and now here he was, sitting back in their living room in his favorite chair. Throughout the years, Jim and Anne had gone off to make new lives for themselves, but now they were reunited again. Simply remarkable and seemingly impossible. After been missing for 15 years, that Christmas, Jim McDonnell was finally home. Shortly after the two embraced, Jim notified the police that he had returned as he filled them in on what happened. Along with the police, Bernadine and the rest of Jim's friends and adoptive family in Philadelphia got a call to let them know that Jim was fine and also told them the good news, that Jim, their friend, had finally found his way back home. They said they were all elated for him. That week he returned back to New York, Jim went to the doctor's office for a physical and a long list of tests, and every single one returned back normal, including a thorough brain scan. As you can imagine, Jim McDonald's case has been studied and analyzed by many. It's baffled his doctors, scientists, friends, and family. The reason for his 15-year memory loss and why and how it suddenly returned remains a mystery. As doctors suspected, Jim didn't have any memory of what happened when he blacked out on that walk home and disappeared. Only that he left his friend's house after dropping off the station wagon that evening, and then nothing. This is not uncommon for amnesia. He couldn't confirm if he took the train or a bus, but that he eventually ended up in Philadelphia. He didn't have his ID on him to refer to, so he found a new identity. It makes me so curious about why and how Jim started to regain his memory again. Bernadine noted that he seemed more withdrawn that winter, and then when he saw that TV commercial with the postman, that seemed to be the start of him coming back to himself. Jim and Anne resumed their life together in New York and didn't seem to have any problem falling right back into their old ways. Jim said, every day we're together makes the time we were apart seem shorter. Many theorize that the accidents Jim had leading up to his disappearance led to the amnesia, and then the accidents he suffered in Philadelphia somehow brought back memories of his true identity and allowed him to find his way home. How hitting his head allowed him to regain memory, again, remains a stunning mystery. But we do know that when someone goes missing, the first 24 hours are critical. As time goes on, the chance of them returning home safe gets much slimmer. Jim McDonnell defied the odds. And this is one of the rarer missing person stories with a happy ending. And in this case, Anne's intuition was correct. And she was right to never give up hope.
I hope you all have a great week, and until next episode, this is Avery After Dark.